and welcome to another edition of the Bond Daft Podcast. Stephen Barry here, joined by my free Bond aficionados, Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. Gordon Webster. Names for tombstones, baby. <laughs> oh, I'm just getting into the living like die vibe a bit. Oh, right, okay. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Barry. Oh, thank you, thank you. And Steve McCall. A very good afternoon to you all. Oh, and thank you all for coming. So we are here, of course, to talk about the eighth James Bond film, Live and Let Die, directed by Guy Hamilton, released in 1973. And the introduction of the third James Bond, uh, well, the third actor to play James Bond, the late and great Sir Roger Moore. Um, Particularly looking forward to this film. I think this film is seen as one of the high watermarks in the series. It's kind of... um, It got good to mixed reviews, I think, overall, but it is favourably looked upon. And so we are, of course, going to do our usual... uh, preamble here um talking about the film and the pre-production element of it and then go and watch the film come back and do a spoilerific review with a rating at the end but before we get into that a couple of other things we want to talk about steve you want to tell us a little bit your recent trips go on then i may as well make a little start so i was in america a couple of weeks ago on my honeymoon uh i was on a cruise ship that stopped off in key west which um, I was reliably informed by you guys was one of the shooting locations for the name of the film's gone out of my head. Which Bond film is it? License. License to Kill. Thank you very much. I had this one in my head for some reason. We've well, still to watch it, so that makes sense, you know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, wondering about. I was doing a bit. I was sat in Ernest Hemingway's house, which is a house that he owned in Key West. Uh, knowing that the film had been filmed in parts of Key West. Turns out I was sitting in the very house where it had been filmed. So I kind of did a quick, I had a spare few minutes, looked on YouTube um, and found, I was, sit- I was sitting at the top of this staircase where there's a kind of balcony. And then I looked up, I, you know, chucked in a YouTube, the bit of Key West where the film was filmed. And it turned out I was sitting on the staircase where they'd filmed it. I was watching, <laughs> I was watching on my phone. That's amazing. Um, Pierce Brosnan walking up the staircase. And I was like, I'm sitting on that staircase. Hang on, would it have been Timothy Dalton? Would it be? Was it Dalton? Aye, yeah. it be Dalton. Oh, yeah. man, they all look the same, I swear. <laughs> I was just going to let you finish that. <laughs> <laughs> that embarrassed me. Uh, and, we'll edit yeah. it out, or just you say it, it's like, <laughs> Timothy <laughs> Dalton. <laughs> so, yeah, I managed to recreate a few shots, do a few photos from there. There's a bit at the start where... Is it M that's watching over the balcony as Bond comes up? Because it was M mm-hmm. that he meets on top of it. Um, and they had to have a chat up there before they get shot at from a famous lighthouse, which was also kind of in the distance. So yeah, um, I got to visit a Bond location, which I thought was quite cool. So yeah, that's it was, it was what, nice being there. two podcasts in a row now that two of our members have been able to talk about their recent yep. visits to Bond so locations. So it's up to you now. You yeah. get to yeah. find a location. Yeah. Yeah. I got, yours, yours is a lot more glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, a lot of Is anyone going to the into space anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> What about that volcano? Or North Korea, yeah. North Korea maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got camp where he was tortured. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, yes. selfie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to say, Steve, I love the photos you sent as well. And it, it, it barely changed since the film as well. And I loved how you said there's cats everywhere. It's just like the film. There's all these cats running there about is, the garden. There's 52 cats, and they're all descendants of Ernest Hemingway's original cat. And because of a genetic mutation, they have six toes. That's wow. <laughs> Genuinely weird, but they're the these cats, each one has its own palace, it's fed four times a day, they don't get to interact with other cats. They are the most pampered cats. <laughs> they don't get to interact with world. other cats. <laughs> they don't let any other cats in and uh, they're not allowed out. So they're only allowed to interact within uh, the right. kind of 
they're all bred themselves, so nobody gets to. No one else. They don't get any other pussy, if you like. <laughs> I, I want to be one of those cats. Pussy, no, pussy. No pussy galore for them. Um, <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Steve. That that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, right. It was yeah. fun. Um, okay. The other thing we were going to touch on before we actually start talking about Live and Let Die is the recent Bond trailer for the uh, the, the, the film that's releasing next year. First official trailer. Yep. First official trailer for No Time to Die. Um, I was... Thinking, I don't know if I mean, how many times have you guys watched it. Is it worth watching it, um, stopping and watching it, and then talking about it, or do you want to just I've go on? It a few times. I've, yeah. I've watched it once, but I've, I tried to take in as much as I could from yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Um, how excited are we for this then? What's, what's your thoughts on that first viewing? I suppose I'm more intrigued then, because I think because yeah, I've spent so much time yeah. the last few months watching the old films. This new one almost doesn't, there's doesn't, so much time in between, it yeah. doesn't connect to anything I've seen over the last few months. It's kind of nothing that, because I know that we discussed that we thought perhaps that this was going to try and tie back because of the the no, no time, Doctor No, the die, the live and let die. From the trailer, it doesn't look <clears> as though it does. No, um, I think on Twitter and the, sort of the scuttlebutt around the film is some people do think, still think that the the no connection might be like a late reveal in the film, right. um, similar to maybe how the Spectre reveal in Inspector. Yeah, mm. hang on. What? No, was that no. <laughs> the 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 Blofeld reveal yeah. Inspector? Uh, I was yeah. like, <laughs> how could that have been an insane <laughs> reveal? It's in the name. It's like as I was saying, it's something wasn't quite right. There. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, so obviously the big reveal out of this trailer is Blofeld is back. That was kind of slightly rumored before the trailer. And um, what do we make of that? And is kind of. Did they have the, the the prosthetic look they had? Uh-huh. In this, in the, in there was that some film? kind of mask on him, yeah. He had different half his face. Yeah. It was like damaged, obviously an injury of some kind. He looked like his eye had been thing with uh, yeah. yeah, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, so that's an interesting look he's got. He didn't have his pussy because he's been in jail. Yeah. Oh god. Uh, you know, they don't. Did they talk? Did they mention refer to that whole familial bond that was? Just, uh, you know he's meant to be his brother or something in this oh, yeah. version of events yeah. that was the spectre reveal um which i think has not been the most yeah. um, successful uh, you know part yeah. of that those films i think people weren't really happy with that yeah but I, I, um it's silly i really it's it, i'd say as a trailer though i the word intrigue that i would use that like i, I i'm i'm kind of looking forward to this i think action set pieces it looks like there's a ton and obviously the trailers always show that sort of stuff but it looks like there's going to be a lot of variety of different types of action sequences yeah. yes that's that sequence of bond leaping off the viaduct looked cool and i didn't see like a and you know too many cgi moments as well which looked good you know i, I liked the look of that stun but one great thing i don't think you get a lot of film trailers these days that they spoil too much of the film. They, they include too much of the key moments of the film. The, one of the the excitements of going of seeing a trailer in the old days was you, you were to see what really happens. You you have to go and see the film. You know, too many new films they spoil too much of it. But there wasn't too much of that. It was pleasant to see Christoph Waltz back as well because I didn't know he was. I didn't think it'd actually be confirmed that he was coming back. So that was good. I wonder as much. They they showed a lot, and it was great to see as well. Um, Bond working with the other double O agent, um, and and so I, I think it's it, 
a lot of people i think they were starting to get a lot of twitter comments some of the, it was so derisive as well some of it you know people taking a negative stance an idea that a female double o agent and then and, and what they're you're they connect- always gonna get them though. yeah and it's just that's why twitter twitter's just an cesspit in these cases it's often worth you know you're gonna get arseholes going oh it shouldn't be female shouldn't be person of color shouldn't be this that the next thing it is they ridiculous. just they don't deserve any yeah i know exactly kind of just and i wonder because it I mean, the film's not coming out to what May next year. Yeah, I suppose that's only six months. Maybe the marketing team. I don't know when you usually start releasing the first trailer, but it kind of feels early. I, I, I kind of felt like maybe it was um, to try and stave off some of that negativity building up. It felt kind of, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, do you know what the crazy thing about this is? What was that villain in one of the Bond Roger Moore films? Um, she was the pure lethal black woman. What was she called? Mayday. Ah, uh-huh. right. So she can exist. But not someone working for MI6. Do you know what I mean? She can like, exist as a villain. Like, but not uh-huh. yeah. it's, it's not so much that. It's more that that she would be a replacement for James Bond. That was the, the, the sort of see the British Navy, right? The British Navy is populated by many types of people, right? And and, and I am absolutely certain there are in the real world right now there are some women out there in the Navy who would rip us limb from limb. Oh, I don't Do you know doubt what I mean? that. I want some of them. Well, MI6 would be looking for people who are, who are from all different backgrounds because they deal with people around the world. Actually, we're not saying that the film is anything. Like, we agree with yeah, this. No, it's, it's just, it's it's just that knee-jerk reaction to yeah. hearing the, in the cast and, and sort of people making up their opinion, really, before even seeing a trailer. But anyways, I think the trailer... I think it's went mostly down quite well, I think, yeah. from the comments I've seen. I think uh, Yeah, it sounds like it's a lot of excitement. Rami Malek yeah. as well. I think he's going to be... An interesting villain he's going to yeah. be really good I like that just that few seconds of him I thought yes yeah. I like the, the I get the idea that Bond now I, I heard I may be wrong with this I heard that the lady you're talking about might be a CIA operative and I, I got the impression in this trailer is going to be this one-upmanship between her and Bond which I quite liked I liked the mm. you know the, the yeah. short sequence we saw the chemistry between them reminded me of like Bond with um, other, you know, female agents, not usually British, but like Holly Goodhead and Moonraker, this constant one-upmanship, which might be quite fun. And did you see the the car from The Loving Daylights made an appearance? The Aston Martin V8, is a V8 Vantage? Lovely car. Um, I, I wouldn't want to get overused the way the Aston Martin DB5 does. I, I didn't quite like the, you know, the big machine guns, you know, big rapid-fire machine guns coming out of the front of the DB5. I like the idea of Bond's this... This was the DB5 in the trailer? Did I miss it? I was, I was That's like spinning I around shooting guns. You know, I liked it making like a cameo in Goldeneye until one of our dies, but I don't want it been overused. But yeah. To be fair, those films were nearly 20 years ago. Maybe it's about time. Because the, the Daniel Craig version of the films, they've sort of steered away from homage a lot of the time they do kind of uh, Skyfall did it a bit but I feel like Have mostly seen, well <laughs> Spectre I, I think there's about 100 million um, references to yeah okay true the, la- the last latter day Daniel Craig films then um, but you know I don't mind that it's a long lasting fr- franchise it can have a little poke at its older films and change things up a little I don't know I, like, I gotta say um I particularly loved the realism and kind of that there was a certain um, sub, uh, subdued um, feeling. Is that the right way to put it about Casino? Uh, is it Casino? Yeah, Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Well, I can't think, think of the name. Yeah, it was a strip back. Um, but I loved that. I loved the fact that like um, the gadget in the film was something that was used to. It was a defibrillator. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I thought it was mm-hmm. fantastic for that reason, and and then I think it's kind of gone further and further into kind of the crazy bond world of like where everyone's connected, related, and like things get a bit kind of unbelievable again. And I, I'll still like it, but I really loved Casino Royale for that that kind of realism. Yeah. You know? uh, okay, I think we've uh, mostly covered that then. So we're all pretty excited and intrigued uh, I'd say about uh, No Time to Die we'll see what further uh, updates and tidbits come out over time we've still got a good few months hopefully we're at least maybe into the, the late the, the, might have done the Moore films by that point <laughs> the, the rate we're going um, so you know we can hit Dalton's era around then but let's now talk quickly about the sort of build up uh, on Live and Let Die um, so Moore's first film in fact, you talked about you liked Fran uh, Casino Royale for it being a stripped down version. Isn't Live and Let Die seen as a bit more of a? They don't have Q in this film. This is a yeah a gadgetless film, isn't it? You may, you may remember no. Well, there's some gadgets still. The Q branch gadgets come into it, but it, I mentioned before in a podcast it was for a really ridiculous reason that Desmond Leland didn't appear in this film, and apparently during the time of production he was doing some big tour, a big kind of marketing tour for Diamonds Are Forever. So he, because he was away in that, he couldn't participate in the film, which I think is just ridiculous. I thought he was, was, it, it, was he doing a television show? I thought he was doing a television I was reading about it and I, I, didn't, I missed that. Maybe it, that, yeah. maybe you're right. Maybe that is ridiculous if that's the case. Yeah. But the, I know he was annoyed though, wasn't he? <coughs> he was, I'm, I'm not sure. I think he was quite a wee bit irritated with the fact that he was let, kept out. But I also <coughs> got, I think I read somewhere that the Broccoli and Saltzman, the producers... We're trying to to. I think they got some criticism for the sort of overuse of over the films of gadgets, and they were again trying to pay it back. And that was a decision they've taken with this film. Um, okay, so we'll set this one up anyway. Uh, so Roger Moore is stepping into the role again. This is one where the producers were hunting. They'd asked John Connery to come back for this one, and he declined it. And I think it's probably for the best. Um, and again, they looked at American actors. Uh, Burt Reynolds I think they'd asked again or I don't know if it was the been so bad I know but they also asked he's a really not very nice guy what? really? yeah he's like could be quite quite a kind of a diva sort of figure like he, do, he doesn't he doesn't know how to laugh at himself very well oh, I've okay. seen some weird interviews and stuff oh really? Yeah. okay oh wow like I think there was one where he punched someone like <laughs> you should look it up it's, some of the stuff's quite funny like <laughs> But um, he looks weird as he gets older because he's obviously like quite precious about his looks, and he's had some surgery done, and he looks very strange, like yeah. like um, made out of plastic or something. God. So there's some little maybe, some random knowledge about Burt. Maybe look, maybe make a good Bond villain then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can I just say as well, uh, Roger Moore? He was he was actually quite a well known star before he was even in Bond. And there was like two instances where he almost got cast. They already knew Cubby Broccoli, but he'd done several seasons of the same, which I've I've seen a fair bit of recently. It's been on at half six in the morning, and I think it's ITV four. And I, I I like him in that. He, everyone goes on about Moore and he's, he's, he's raised eyebrows, which I'm just doing an impression of right now. Um, but you What's don't... great in an audio podcast? <laughs> yeah. I know. It works. We'll get photos. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, you don't see, it's kind of exaggerated. Oh, Roger Moore's born with his eyebrows. You don't get too much. But seeing the scene, his eyebrows are they're all over the place. He's, he's oh, just, really? It's, do you know the way I, I, I sum up the scene? I, I do enjoy it. It's, it's, I look at it and he's, He's very similar to his Bond in a lot of ways. It's Bond without a gun, really. I think he tried to... He said in an interview, I think he tried to 
act differently from how he was in the scene, but obviously it's not worked too well because apparently he's the same. Do you think Roger Moore would get on with Spock with the whole eyebrows thing? Um, Spock's always raising his eyebrow. Is he? So Roger Moore and yeah, Spock me in some universe. Is he just the first version of The Rock? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, The Rock. In fact, why don't we try and think of all the people who are famous for moving their eyebrows? It's pretty much that. Remember Jack Nicholson podcast on it? The Rock's uncle was The Rock's uncles and you only live twice. Guy oh, Boyle. that's right. Yeah, he was the Samoan wrestler. He was fighting. That's right. There we go. This is all connecting back to Bond as usual. And we've already got a Star Trek reference as well. Who had, who had uh, 16 minutes? <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's a long time. Usually it's the first couple of minutes, isn't it? Yeah. I think 19 was the last one Steve you called it was yep. or was it when we uh, get some unspoilerific plot in yeah let's uh, okay so we've kind of we invent the word spoilerific I think I've used it from another podcast I, I, it's become my normal word but it's like a, it's not even a real word yeah uh, yes, let's go into the plot then. So this Spoilerous. is this is a bit more of a lower key plot, isn't it? In terms of it's not a megalomaniac villain. Yeah, the plot is a bit more believable, I would say. See, um, yeah, that's a good way of putting it because the the main the main villain is actually like a, a basically a drug baron. So we forget the whole Spectre film. We basically the Spectre trilogy. We had you only live twice on Her Majesty's and Diamonds. The Spectre aren't involved in this. Basically, there's three MI6 or British um, agents all disappear the one time. Uh, one in New Orleans, one in the Caribbean, one... I can't remember, we'll find out. And James Bond basically gets sent to investigate them. And he, he, he uncovers a world of voodoo and, you know, gang warfare and a connection between the... Um, dictator of one of these Caribbean islands and a crime kingpin called Mr. Big in Harlem. So Bond goes to Harlem, he goes to the Caribbean and he meets Solitaire, who you'll probably be familiar with as well. And just this mysterious world of... So, and it, there's a drug connection, but I don't want to say too much more. So yeah, I'm, I'm more kind of down to earth. It could actually happen, plot, I, not a, a have, megalomaniac Gordon, situation. I have, to, I have to say, I, I'm a little bit confused, right? Because... I'd say ninety percent of the film, or ninety nine percent of the film, yeah, I'd agree with that, like being believable. But isn't there kind of a supernatural element to this? Like, there's something yeah, in there that I've, I've stuff, but huh? like, I mean, to the point where like something actually impossible happens, like people come back to life and stuff like that, like, like unbelievable stuff. Yeah. Or am I just misremembering it? I just want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's not go into plot right, too okay. much that way. That might be, I might be a spoiler. Like, like I find um, one of the enemies in this film to be quite frightening, actually. Like quite even yeah. today, like to be quite unnerving. I think it'll be something we'll need to point out. This film was made at the height or beginning of the black black exploitation era. Yeah, you won't. So that, yeah, I think there's yeah. a lot of that uh, maybe cliches and things like that and stereotypes. So I think that was something to comment on or, or pick up. I think when we after we've watched the film. And can I just um, say quickly? Um, it does deviate a bit from the book. Um. A few of the characters are still in it, but um, not quite as much of a departure. Diamonds are forever, but and can I just say, um, Living Like Die was the second Ian Fleming Bond novel, and it was nineteen fifty four. I mean, that seems like really early for a Bond novel. Mm. I think it was about fifty four, fifty five. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're right about the black exploitation thing, by the way, because there are some bits of this film that, like, these days, like especially in the past couple of years, if I've watched it, I find myself kind of. Like chuckling or laughing with just like just the, the absurdity of some of the stuff, like, that, yeah. but like it's not nasty. Like I think what the film's trying to do is the film's trying to kind of 
like it's trying to appeal to a big audience basically which is what black exploitation is isn't it they're trying to get the money out of the pockets of a black audience by showing them stuff that they want to they think they want to see but like usually you know, tipping up and, and, at the same time. And, and, yeah uh-huh. but at the same time like I think that there was a, there was a genuine attempt I think in this film to try to be quite um, truthful or maybe show like a real kind of range of different black um, environments and and different places, but it is embarrassing sometimes. But I, th- I think they tri- they really tried. So read- jingles coming out then. What's that? Yeah, jingles coming out this time round. <laughs> yes. yes. What did you think? Yeah. So happy what did that. you think? I, okay. I what is it? Almost, What's the word? Oh, I peed myself laughing genuinely. I loved it. <laughs> right. What's the word? Is it a little bit? Oh no, a little bit. That's the, he's, the, he's talking about the, the the one that we put on the podcast. That was the Bond Daty thing. Oh yeah, we created the, yes, yeah. the new jingle. No. Oh, yeah. the, we so made that we made a problematic alarm <laughs> oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, um, love which, that uh, yeah. So if it, if it comes up, if we use the word problematic. We we'll we play the problematic. Oh god. Yeah, we just we, we'll show it to you after this. We'll, right? cool. yeah. Okay. This. All right then. Um, yeah, we are now going to go and watch Live and Let Die. I'm looking forward to this scene, Sir Roger Moore, and we will then come back and give our spoilerific thoughts on the film. Thank you. T he would laugh his way through it, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that, that your, that's his laugh. Is that your TV? Is that because you did the no, one? No, the one I on the train at the end, but he laughed during the the earlier. Is just like hey, 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 hey. <laughs> that's always like Ken Paul. Like when he surprised, he bends his gun. Oh, oh shit! It's recording. Uh, and we are back from watching Live and Let Die. What do we all think of this one, gents? Uh, let's start with you, Fran. Oh great! Um, oh, well, I thought it was excellent. Really enjoyed it. Um, I think it, it it pretty much was as I remembered it. I suppose. I mean, it's got its flaws. It's you know, it's maybe you know, uh, Bond has dated um, in some ways, as always. Is that um, is that the cue to play the theme? Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, well, I think, I think, I think we'll, we'll yeah. get to that subject. Yeah. We'll, we'll, well, well, not really, but it's like the only way I could describe it. Yeah. But like. Um, I, I I think it's on the whole. I think it's a charming film. Really, still, I think it's it's got a kind of a friendly, like um, comfortable feeling about it. It's definitely a, a by the numbers Bond movie. Now they've got far enough in that they know what the formula is. A couple of weird things about it. Um, we'll get into, I suppose. But um, on the whole, really enjoyed it. Okay, Gordon, on your rewatch, how do you feel? Uh, this 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 viewing went for you. Yeah, and I think this maybe is the Bond film that I've seen the most. You see, with this, with Love and Light Die, I would say Love and Light Die, Spy Who Loved Me, and Goldfinger are the three that I saw so much from such a young age, since I was like four, five, six. And I'm in this weird kind of trap where I've watched it so many times, I just view it with these rose-tinted spectacles on. So, you know, it's maybe hard for me to find fault with it, but you know, I'm trying to pick up things again. I just really, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a great introduction for Roger Moore and I don't think it's too over the top. I think there's a brilliant cast in the film and I loved his performance. I loved the humour. Um, there's slightly weaker bits towards the end once we get into the whole speedboat chase and everything, but, <laughs> uh, you know, um, 
Yeah, I feel that weird trap when I talk about films like so this and Goldfinger. I haven't seen them so much. To, to, just to analyse them like a proper film. Yeah, yeah. Critic so hat on, it's, it's, it's yes. a bit different. Yeah. Steve, what were your, your thoughts on this viewing? Well, like with most of the Bond films, this is the first time I've seen this one. It's by far the most that I've laughed during a Bond film. Yeah. Which was, to be honest, quite refreshing after... Like genuine <laughs> laughter at the, where the film was trying to be funny this time, possibly? Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. That the last one, um, back in Diamonds, it there was attempted humour. It didn't work. Um, if there was any laughter, it was at parts where it shouldn't have been. But that, I think there was, there was genuine humour. And that, it was refreshing after the last one. So um, I'm kind of back on track now. There has been the previous few. There's been negative points. Have it been Connery sort of lacklusterness, or the kind of slightly more downbeat storylines from On Her Majesty's. Um, but this, yeah, I really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, overall, I enjoyed this film. Um, some of the that third act, or maybe it was the middle section, I suppose, was the speedboat chase. Um, not. Um, uh, that to me was where the film got a bit slightly over the top. Uh, the, there was comedy there and it worked, but there was points where I was like, "Okay, this is this is getting a bit indulgent now." Like, uh, move the story along, sort of thing. But overall, first film with Roger Moore, I loved him in the role. I feel like he worked. You can see why he he was obviously going to last as long as he did because he had he brought something to it that hadn't been done before. It wasn't a take on you know a similar take to. Um, Sean Connery and Lazy Beast one um, version of the f- the, the character. This was a completely different style, and it actually does work. You have to come along with it, and and if you're looking for this this sort of really gritty Bond, that's it's really not for you. This is a these are comedies now that are almost a different genre, um, comedy action films. So with that, I thought I thought it was enjoyable, and there's a lot of great Bond stuff. Music, we'll get onto that. I love that about oh, yeah. it as well. Um, so yeah, overall enjoyed the film as well. Okay, where where, where do you want to start with unpacking this film? Um, I would agree with what you said. I was just going to say, Steve, about the the change up. Not only the new actor with Roger Moore, but the the change in direction, the humour. And I, I'm wondering why it is. I find I'm more accepting of the humour in this compared to Diamonds Are Forever. I just feel it works better. And I feel it's a more cohesive film in the whole compared to Diamonds Are Forever. I think with Diamonds, it seems we all agreed it was a bit kind of cobbled together and cheesy and over the top. But I think, I find this more cohesive. I think it's hard to say. You know, maybe I, I don't sound like a hypocrite saying I don't like a lot of the humour in Diamonds Are Forever, but somehow it seems to work better well, than this. It's probably because saying a joke in Diamonds and Forever is almost akin to making a joke at a funeral. Do you know what I mean? It's like it just doesn't really, it doesn't fit. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, the atmosphere. It shouldn't work. Yeah, it's just a different, completely different feeling, I suppose. Yeah, but the framework for that film was after a serious event, and if you're trying to take Bond serious as a character, which it seemed like it was trying to do with this very serious, uh, sort of emotional, sort of sensitive character portrayal in on her majesties and then it starts with that connected storyline in diamonds which we covered a lot in the podcast before so we'll go into it that was where that film went down because it had that but then it was had this ridiculous take this sort of silliness and slapstick and all that just didn't work but this film feels like a reboot in a way in that sense and with the character change again 
Um, and the, and the humour does work. It is a bit smarter. The actors around Bond are better. Yafit Koto, we'll get onto him. Great uh, villain, actually. I really like Yafit Koto in this. And um, we can talk about him uh, more particularly a bit later on. And some interesting characters, Baron Samidi as well. You know, I mean, certainly the most original, I think, of all the Bond <laughs> villains. Yeah. Um, um, Sheriff Pepper, uh, an interesting a whole section he had <laughs> almost derailed the entire film you know if you, depending on how you look at it yeah so a lot going on in this film uh the, the tone overall worked there was a lot of like comedy beats that i did find myself laughing like you did as well steve where the film was actually intentionally trying to be funny and yeah. it did work roger moore's comedic charm you know it's the way he's all his little one-liners i think were were great i mean fran you've said before that you love mm-hmm. when roger moore does that and i can totally see what you're saying when mm-hmm. and uh, i find it really funny it's the same thing that i find like i find it i find like my own dad and other people's dads to be quite funny for the same reason like they sometimes come out with little quips about things do you know what i mean like it's a particular thing that roger moore's doing but um on the topic of roger moore taken over as Bond, it really it's interesting how he really owned it instantly in the first scene. It just he was Bond, wasn't he? Well there was no big reveal. Every other yeah. Bond have made a big mm-hmm. deal of very slowly revealing him. You see him like Lazenby for of example, course, you saw him bit yeah, by bit. That's right. But yeah. literally first shot, first scene Well it that, was Roger I mean, Moore in bed. Yeah, it was after the title after, sequence. Sorry, after actually. the pre-titles, yeah, the yeah. first, the first scene of the the main film, if you like, after the the titles. That's an interesting it thought. Just isn't was it? Bond? He didn't. It's did almost it, like he was such a strong actor and such a strong presence. I mean, he didn't need any help, did he? He just you didn't need that transition because you yeah. watched and you thought, all right, that's Bond. Maybe the public also knew him from the other shows as well as a kind of a agent A type of guy. Do you know what I mean? And like Fran, you said in the first podcast, he's so self-assured. The way he delivers these lines and just his mannerisms, the way like when when he poses as the flight instructor, one of the kind of yeah. co- comedy relief aspects of the the film, he, he just looks at her, sort of raises his eyebrow and goes, "Same time tomorrow, Mrs. Bell." <laughs> <laughs> just the way the way he looks, and I'm trying to think. There's a couple <laughs> other great examples, like with um, unzipping the girl's dress at the start with yeah. the watch magnet. Was it says shoe magnetism, darling? It's darling. I love that. It's, it's his just, facial it's... expressions as well, and he just he comes across more, especially in some of the later films as well. He's in the middle of you know almost you know risking his life, almost getting a bullet through his head, and he just seems so nonchalant. Just <laughs> yes. like he sails through these scenes, just as if he doesn't have a care in the world, and you want to be that guy, you know. You know? It's Roger Moore knows that he's with you. He knows this is all ridiculous, silly. Don't take it seriously. That's that kind of like tongue in cheek wink at the camera, almost kind of. But it's not, it's not cheap and nasty the way Diamonds was. It's it's uh it's just it's just fun. And I think that's that's kind of that's what I like about it. It's confident. The film. This is Guy Hamilton's third Bond film, and you can tell a Guy Hamilton Bond film now. For me, anyway, I think it's there's a there's a sort of bombast that he brings to it, and a style, and a sort of style over any plot sensibility. <laughs> like what was that intro sequence? We've you know, got this overly elaborate march, very slow kind of funeral march yes and then it's all really a, it seems like it's a setup for an assassination at the side the man standing at the side that line whose funeral is this yours plunge <laughs> yeah. brilliant yeah a knife right into the side and then the, the, the sort of marcher slowly move over with a coffin and place it down on the body and the body seems to just 
floats up. It's, it's, it disappears essentially. They pull the coffin up, the body's gone, and you're meant to believe that somehow they're able to. I, I don't know yeah, what happened. Yeah. Again, style over any sense, really. It's like what Fran was saying about the, the supernatural element with Baron Samadie seems to have died, but then he comes back to life. To I, maybe it's just because I've seen this film from a young age. I can go along with that and go along with the the body disappearing into the coffin because it's just one film. I don't recall any other Bond films which had that fantasy element, almost supernatural, almost a bit Indiana Jones or like even Ghostbusters or something like. That, if you know what I mean, you can I can kind of accept it there. Yeah, you know, it feels like it's crossing genre. Enough, this film. Yeah, there's enough good stuff in that film. Enough kind of solid, dark material. Enough spy tactics going on to to you know get it pass marks overall anyway you know it's it's funny because it's not it's it's not a criticism as much as it's an observation i think because um i quite like the fact that it's got this edge of of kind of, of kind of unbelievable paranormal stuff going on there that James Bond inhabits a world where something some entity like Baron Sabody can exist, you know? And Bond shoots him in the head and then confusedly looks as the thing just looks up at its own head. Do you know what I mean? Like that Bond interacted with something otherworldly. There's something quite funny about that. It's think, good to see Bond thrown into that voodoo world, I think, as well. Well, getting that set up yeah. in the pre-title sequence, I think, worked particularly that pre-title sequence, I think, of any of the films so far actually set you up for the film more than any other thing. Because you had that sort of straight-up assassination, the guy at the UN, and they fed a particular pitch down his sort of earpiece, and he died, followed by the slightly comedic, but also slightly out-there-and-weird assassination with via the uh, the marching bands in New Orleans. Yeah. And then the absolutely terrifying bit on the island with the guy being killed by the snake. That's kind of all the elements of the film, and they managed to sort of squeeze them all into nicely into pre- the pre-title yeah. sequence. And I, it made more yeah. sense than, for example... Diamonds of Forever, it was just a minute of Sean Connery going around the world looking for um, oh, it was so bad. the guy he wanted and to kill. And shoddily edited. Yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of, the film continued after that on a completely different tangent. It kind of tied it together a lot more nicely. Yeah. This film felt a lot more complete. That is actually a really good observation. That's um, And I think it was interesting, you know, is that the first pre-title sequence that's not had Bond in it? Yeah, I, I think yes, it is. Good yeah. point. I think, and I really like it. Um, I do think that the the snake when you're talking about the voodoo scene in, in the island San Monique that the bites the the British agent it looks as if the snake barely touches him and he just yeah. dies. But apart, <laughs> apart from that, you know, and I don't have a problem with the fact that Bond isn't in the pre-titles because it carry it's is enough momentum. It was good. It, it set, set up the up, villain, wasn't it? Really, it set up the villains does, and the yeah. tone yeah. of the film. I think and it sets up well for the song. You know, the after, just after the snake bite, the way the descending chord pattern of the music and then the mellow intro to McCartney and Wings. I think this song. is a good section to talk about that. Yeah. That to me is one of the best Bond themes. So Bond title sequences yeah. as well. Absolutely loved it. And the fact that they reuse that felt that song in so many different ways in the film they use it as yeah. a, a singer sings it live at one point. There was a Calypso version kind of I think as he re- either he reached the island or was leaving the island. Which was quite cool. Yeah. Just, yeah, you're right. It pops up in various... Uh, It's like a motif. Like, Fran, I think you mentioned it before, how um, you were disappointed the way that they kind of thought about the score and how the score had to be separate from the Uh theme song and the the point of a theme song should be a motif that connects the film and things like that. Whereas this film boldly just uses it. So, like, at regular points to sort of elevate the action or whatever, and it works so well each time they they use it. I loved it. The thing is, it, it is a fantastic... Well, 
a certain section of the song is an absolutely fantastic action uh, piece of music, action-packed piece of music. I mean, it's got good pace to it. It's got the the sort of there's the all the different instruments playing, kind of orchestral instruments, and there's certain parts of the song where the instruments all go a bit wild, don't they? Yeah, and and it really feels like it gets your heart going. You know, what I mean, in a chase scene or oh, yeah. something. It's but it's also got. It's, it's, it's like a song that you could break up and use in different sections yeah. of the film. Yeah, it's a, varying tempos. It's the sort of slow verse, and then the bridge sort of builds up, and then the chorus, it, it's, you get that pounding. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, it just it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely yeah. one of the best. I mean, that has got to be one of the best choruses ever. And I think, you know, um, I've heard ve- versions of the song where they up the ante on the drums and things like that. It's just so good. I think it's a, yeah. it's a great... A great it's piece of music. Exceptionally well yeah. done. It gives you a sense of danger. The the bit you were saying where the, the tempo increases, it's, it's like the song is a light side and a dark side. Mm-hmm. And despite the time change, it flows well. Still, mm-hmm. you can have songs with time changes that can go like two different songs. But it's so good. And I think in George Martin's score as well, it was very different because we've had, we've had six films with John Barry's music. And it was a very jazzy, kind of funky at times soundtrack. But you know they reuse the 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 chord pattern the da 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 like those four notes of the Bond theme get used a lot. Um, different even like the kind of gun barrel the da 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 they used really very subtly, wasn't it? And then again, like I think you were saying, Fran, that you know the the Love and Let Die theme itself gets you know used instrumentally throughout the film as well, really effectively, and you know given a sense of danger in certain points. Even like you see like the music, see with the, when the snake. Um, goes into Bond's hotel room when he's shaving. It's the music. It's a weird kind of slow music. Gives it almost gives you this this kind of this is like how a, a snake would sound. This kind of slithering kind of yeah. pattern, if you know what I mean. You know, it's it's well used. Yeah. Did McCartney write that actual Living Let Die? Him and his wife, yeah. And so they played it with wings, I think it was. Because yeah. the, the whole orchestra and stuff that was in there, presumably, did they get the composer to come in as well to... I think they may have written that part too. they wrote that entire orchestral score, that song, mm-hmm. not the whole film, but sorry, the, that I'm not sure. particular I mean, song. When I looked at the start, it didn't credit anyone else. No, that's what I was wondering. Because they're quite tight with that with songwriting, like, and they, they make sure to credit. Because I will believe that he wrote the lyrics to it, absolutely, but the actual... Music, the performance of that song. I wonder. I presume that was the orchestra conducted by the guy who obviously wrote the rest of the music for the film. Uh, and whether he came George in Martin. and George Martin, yeah. whether he came in and beefed the song up with an orchestra, well or whether it was all Paul McCartney. I'm just I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm massively well, impressed that not, it was all him. It's not that comp. It's, it's deceptive writing music, writing music orchestral accompaniment to actual like kind of a guitar song isn't as hard as maybe scoring an actual piece of orchestral music for a film if that makes sense because there's more of a structure to to band music than there is to um like say a soundtrack but the little orchestral flourishes i uh-huh. mean what what i kind of weirdly have in my head is metallica's s&m album uh-huh. yeah and if yeah. you hear the orchestral flourishes on a metallica song on that album yeah it's obvious that the conductor's coming in Heard uh-huh. the original song and thought, right, I know what will go with that, yeah. and it, it just it's I presume that's how it works, but it's whatever it is, the result is incredible. It was Michael Kamen, wasn't it, that did that? Uh, yeah. he, the th- we mentioned this on our Music of Bond podcast. Michael Kamen did the License to Kill score. He did S and M with Metallica. They see that's in the 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 overall score will have like die. As well, what I was going to say was, um, I found I love John Barry's music. Obviously, the first six films, it's very, 
it's very horn and trumpet heavy. Living Let It Die, maybe not so much. Sometimes they use like trumpets really effectively, but you know, there's there's a lot of sort of symphonic music. There was a lot more kind of like bass guitar and an electric guitar, kind of jazz guitar. There was even like clarinets used. Sometimes you need to listen quite well. I mean, I listened to the soundtrack fairly recently as well, but you know, it was a different kind of soundtrack. But I mean, it kept, maybe the kind of jazz music suited the the, the New York and New Orleans scenes quite well as well you know yeah i think the the music worked for this film there was no point in this film where we all stopped and said oh my god listen to that music like we did with the diamonds are forever there stuff almost wasn't enough there were points where i thought shouldn't there be some music right that, now? actually yeah that's a point that uh, yeah a lot of that the boat chase stuff it was the point when it kicked in and then we all realized god there hadn't been any music for a while like yeah. uh, but again that's my feelings on that boat chase um as a lot of that can get could have get cut to be honest i feel like that was the weaker part of the film that it's a shame it's an action sequence but there's a weird um focus on delivering comedy through bond just crashing through different you know weddings and and, and messing up everyone else's day and showing you a bit of a nuisance it's weird as a side story it's hilarious but in the film i think it's a bit of a they've lost a bit of the focus there and i think that's that a lot of that can get cut i don't know how you feel about that Gordon or Steve? Yeah, I, I kind of. I mean, I was I was laughing through it. In fairness, <laughs> the whole way it was funny, but you're right; it does completely detract from the film. Bonds doesn't say well. You barely see him. If I'd fallen asleep and woken up at that point, I would assume that I'd, the film had finished and Netflix had put on another film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I totally get that. I feel that as well. Bond becomes secondary to Sheriff Pepper there. Completely, it's, it's yeah. Weird, weird decision, Sheriff Pepper getting his, his 20 minutes of fame. It's a I mean, as a as a little bonus episode, as a side thing to watch, it, it, you know, you can imagine this series where just Bond sort of keeps on ruining his day. Like it's, <laughs> it's a great comedy idea. idea. Of, yes, within a happen. tightly constrained film, it, it doesn't work for me very well. I know the cast list at the end. Remember, Sheriff Pepper's number four, <laughs> number four. in like kind of order of importance. You know, yeah, I, I love. I actually love that whole sequence. I always have. I think. Though, to be fair, it probably could have been a little bit tight, tighter in terms of the length of time. Um, but I think it was a, I think it was a quite a, an interesting idea to, to have like a sort of a bystander's view of what it's like to be around when Bond's around. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like Bond and his antics and what's going on and, and what the public see or the, the normal authorities who are trying to get over their lives, you know? It's just absolute chaos. And the guy says to him, you know, what are you? Some sort of, what is it, a, a doomsday something? Doomsday right? machine. Yeah, yes. doomsday machine, boy, you know? Yeah. Because to, to normal authorities, James Bond, imagine what it must be like to have Bond blown through your town. Imagine Bond drove down the street here and there was cars exploding everywhere. You know, you'd be like, "What the hell is going on?" At that point, you'd have to have a sort of who? Who? Where do you get the insurance from? The government? Like, yeah, what, what well, you'd have to have like a, a bureaucrat's version of it, where yeah. they're just signing off all of the sort of wreck damage costs Aye. and There'd things like some, that. Um, <laughs> like, of paperwork after that whole speedboat chase was so long. The wedding that get trashed, the cars, cars that get smashed up, the the bridge that get half smashed up, you know, and then the the big the big well, I don't know about the the big kind of rusting hulk of a ship that get 
blown up in a yeah. fireball yeah, as well. Someone who had to recover the body from inside the burning inferno. That's the <laughs> shit. There's also um, Billy Bob got knocked out. And, that. and that's the thing. That, that's Guy Hamilton and Tom Mankiewicz. I think they, they, that's they're going for that. And it's been a trend with Guy Hamilton's films. Goldfinger introduced it with all the nonsense. You know what you can imagine, Steve? You're totally right on this. The two of them sitting talking and then they're like, no, and then we'll do this. And uh-huh. then we'll do this. Yeah, oh, like, and then we'll do this. A wedding and then we'll do an exploding you can, yeah. you can totally imagine that that scene was just the first time when the Bond, the, that cool shot where the, the boat flies over Sheriff Pepper's car. and But then... It just unfolded and they just kept on going with it. It's like, well, what about a wedding as well? And then the barn and, and, and they just kept on going with it to the point that it becomes as as long as it did, a 25-minute boat chase. Did mind uh, this was in vogue, though? Uh, Burt Reynolds, was it? Was in that, that car chase film that was all kind of mad, like madcap stuff, bandit. something like that. But there was a kind they, of. They were, this is another sign. They were trying to get um, Adam West. That was the other American actor. I forgot to mention it. Adam really? West Batman, was approached. Yeah. Um, can you imagine that? I mean, that's that's the to- that tone they were going for. There were points of that film where I was picturing sixties Batman. Yeah, like a lot of the voodoo stuff on the island was very. It was it was very camp. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that Adam, Adam West, West actually would have fitted in yeah. there perfectly, yeah. They were going for for stuff that was in vogue in the early 70s, basically, cinematically, which was kind of your car chase adventure movies, your mystical stuff, your comic booky type kind of pow, kablam stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, kind of com- like a bit of comedy, a bit of madcap, kind of... Do you know what I mean? I mean, it was literally like the tale, it was coming out of like the, the 60s, do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. the early 70s was a really interesting time for... Like cinema, I think you had some really crazy, crazy kind of colourful movies. Mm-hmm. That thing, yeah. Uh, as over the top as the speedboat chase was, there was some great camera work, like the overhead, distant shots. I think as well, and you know it was real stunts done by by real guys and real speedboats. There was no CGI or anything like that, so you got to give it praise for that. Although, like I said, it went on too long. The speedboat chase. Uh, yeah, it was it was too long for me. It was, um, but I enjoyed. I, I see what they were doing. It was comedy, and you have to accept it for that. But it was just a little too long. It was the way I felt about um, Thunderball with the over extended underwater sequences. It was a yes. sort of lack of control in the editing department. Otherwise, what they were doing visually was astounding in, in Thunderball, but a little too much. I wonder was... if the same thing applied for as back then, obviously, because they were dealing with film. Cutting bits out was probably almost as expensive as actually filming them in the first place. So there might have been more of a sort of behind the scenes sort of push to use as much as possible, as much as had been filmed as possible, because otherwise it's a waste. Whereas now on a computer, you can just click and you've deleted something. So there may have been, there might be a bit more pressure, I suppose, to use more of it which is maybe why more of it ended up in it especially they probably spent a lot on the the, the boat crashing through it was probably yes. where a lot of the cost went to probably so had to, to throw try and away. justify it yeah um, this bit the, we don't know if we touched on it was a 7 million budget um, which I think was the same budget for Honor Majesties and possibly Diamonds and it made 160 or 4 million or something what a so, profit that yeah be. successful film um let's talk about the villains of the piece then uh you know you've got well, Mr. Big, who also uh, reveals himself to be Kananga. Um, what do you guys feel? Like? He's the main villain, isn't he, really? He's kind of the... the well, it's two for the price of one. Yeah, yeah. What's, uh, what's your thoughts, Steve? I thought they were really believable. I really enjoyed the villains. They felt genuinely sort of evil. 
Um, I mean the the henchman with the hand, Tihi, who was constantly smiling. He was a gleeful properly villain, creeped, wasn't he? He's a happy chap, but he <laughs> properly creeped me out, and I loved that uh, main villain as well. Just very believable. Wasn't played over the top. It was. I, th- I think they hit it absolutely spot on. Yeah. He was so dedicated, wasn't he, Steve? That he came back even after <laughs> his organization <laughs> was destroyed. Yeah, yeah, we loved that. We touched on that as we were watching it. The, you know, boss is dead, employers, everything. But no, I'm still going to go after Bond. I'm not getting paid for it this time, but hell, I'm going to get him. I love it. And of course, you'd think he'd be going to hiding because the CIA would be after him. But no, he, he, he's intent on catching Bond in the tree. Yeah, it makes a good end to the film, so gotta go for it. Uh, I love Tihi. Yeah, he's grin, he's laugh, he's he's, he's bright, laugh, he's isn't it? Red yeah. suit jacket as well. Varen Samadhi, I think, was brilliant as well. I, I think they were very strong villains and like you know henchmen. Yafit Koto, like you said, bloody amazing performance. He had a, he had a sinister look to him. You could it could be kind of jovial, but it could be a real dark character. Like when he hits Solitaire and when he cuts Bond's arm with a knife to. Um, mm-hmm. to attract the shark and you know this, even the sound effect you feel that knife cutting it's a bit gnarly yeah. you know but he's 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 got a bit of darkness to him the alter ego thing's a great idea too how he uses um, this alter ego Mr. Big as like more of a kind of underworld druggie you know kind of you know one one of the the dudes around Harlem you know but then there's he also uses this sort of dictator Alter ego is, or maybe not alter ego, that's the real guy. You know, it's, I didn't see in the novel, it was just Mr. Big, there was no Kananga. Oh. And of course, the character Kananga was named after the, the guy who owned the crocodile farm. I think the croc, the whole crocodile farm scene, I think, was, uh, was an afterthought. They weren't even going to go with that. It's, it's probably like... one of my favorite, it's probably my favorite section of the film. I love that. The, the, the moment when Bond is left. On that little sort of tiny, tiny uh, island, I suppose, yeah, and we... amongst all these alligators and crocodiles, absolutely terrifying. I like how you see the crocodiles lining up, and you be go, "Yep, yeah, I know how he's going to escape here." Oh uh, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> and of course, a real stunt. The the owner of the crocodile farm did the stunt. I think you said Steve was about five takes, but amazing, and he almost get he's foot taking off one of the crocodiles and one of the, the takes so they didn't uh, use genuine crocodiles that he jumped on or were they well, you could see yeah, yeah when yeah. he was running over that was, he was the, the owner that was the guy that did the stunt it was his farm his, it was his whatever crocodiles. crocodile uh, yeah wow okay wow that's I know. quite something <laughs> uh, what was it I was reading about that I think it was in that uh, is there a section in the film there was a I think it was like a royalty was visiting the set and the guy did a dangerous stunt I think it was going into a snake pit or something, but he wouldn't. He was terrified to do it, but he only did it because royalty was visiting the set, and he <laughs> thought, "Well, was, I better do it." I think that was bad insanity. Yeah. The, the way he, you could tell, it was as though he was pretending to die. The way he dived into the coffin full of snakes, he was like, oh, he, he was rolling about. It was like Cristiano Ronaldo diving for a penalty or something. <laughs> it's just, it, you, I mean, I thought that's not. It, it doesn't seem like a real kind of. Um, it didn't look, horrible death it uh, looks like he's pretending to die but I, I don't I, I, like I said I can go with the whole idea of somebody come back and I, I love the way it ends I mean usually the the, the very end of a Bond theme will be like Bond in a a, a dinghy or Bond in, in the middle of nowhere uh, with a woman in his arm and then it might show you a distant shot of the sky but the very last shot was Baron Samady laughing in front of the train so everything else dies everyone else dies in the you know the, the villain's organisation but Baron Samdy survives and he's right in front of the train in the middle of the night it's, I really love that it's, it's a, a weird character yeah. yeah I mean 
you have to it's suspension of disbelief with Baron Samidi. You're you're now no longer watching, you know, a gritty Bond villain uh, that you're used to seeing. This is a it's a supernatural cartoon kind of character. The film kind of makes it work though, and I think mostly I would say I was fine with it, and it works. It's a, within that film that worked. Yeah, that's the yeah. that's that's the important point the to thing make. Is bad insanity wasn't really part of anything that was going on. It was almost like he was a force that was being invoked by these guys occasionally, wasn't he? It was the bodyguard, like, effectively, but yeah. a supernatural yeah. one. But but he also kind of he didn't really seem to do. He 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 stood outside of things, didn't he? It kind of just drifted in and out. Like, like did yeah, he even to... speak or say anything at any point? He's kind of the scarecrow. Like, he's kind of just like, that's what it is, isn't he? Like, he was, he was the boogeyman. He was doing sort of quite menial work for um, Kanagi, even though he was meant to be one of the leading villains. He, he was playing the flute, and he goes the heading for the halos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he just he just kind of passes on the position, the same as the guys in the taxis. Was but that Samadhi? I actually, that I didn't catch that. I didn't realise that was him. Oh, oh that, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. that. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Just, I loved his laugh. Yes. I loved yeah. his voice, his laugh. His, his laugh in the Goldeneye game was a bit... It was actually creepier in the game than it was in the film. Yeah. And it's funny that they use that character and, and people like Mr. Big and Kananga and things like that. And Teehee even has never been brought back in any of the games. and Or Whispers. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Your champagne, sir. Oh my god! You need to come really close to the mic to make sure it picks you up when you're doing your impression of whispers. Shall oh my god! Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like what a, a weird cat between him and Teehee These sort of funny gimmicky names. It's it's a great and again it, it fits with the guy Hamilton Bond character. And again, you said this was actually in Fleming's book, or some of that was. Um, the kind of idea that he would give all these characters these funny names, and obviously yeah. the women, uh, you know, characters were, were getting that was mostly the women characters. But it's fun to see these henchmen getting all these sort of silly names. There's no John Smith, uh, kind of Paul Boyd or whatever, you know. Um, Steve Barry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, Baron Samedia, I think, was uh, a, a, you know, quite an original villain. And again, you can totally commend the film for his look and, and everything about him. Um, you know, suspension of disbelief, of course. Uh, what else uh, what you want to talk about obviously the the the, the female characters you want to go there um solitaire you know what what we think of solitaire oh, she was she is uh, like probably like basically my type of girl i think like in terms of how she looks like if there was a look that i would i would class as being the best look it would be that um in terms of her character i think you know it's funny because she was a wee bit She's a wee bit boring, really, isn't she? In a lot of ways, because she's sheltered from life. Like she hasn't. She's she's imprisoned by these gangsters to be like, a, Oops, um, basically to uh, uh, read tarot cards to them. And if she had sex with anyone and lost her virginity, then she'd lose the gift that she has to see the future or whatever. So she doesn't really have much to kind of say. But like, as the film goes on, she sort of gets a bit more human. I suppose when she she's like a a machine before that, isn't she? Then when Bond kind of I guess manipulates the situation in order to get into bed with her, um, which is questionable in itself. But um, after that, she starts to get a little bit more kind of normal. Does that make sense? Like she she yeah, makes jokes yeah. and she talks to Bond. Do you know what I mean? She, she does. She, she completely more. changes after Bond takes her virginity, <laughs> and then <laughs> Do you know, that's, that's what I didn't want to say because like I don't want it to seem like. Like a woman needs to be fucked 
<laughs> in order to become real, right? Because she does say the words, I feel like a complete woman now. But the thing is, though, there is a change that takes place, like, when you, when you, that's a big moment in your life. And I guess, like, if someone hasn't experienced anything, it's not just that with Bond, it's that she's getting to, to, to live a bit more, isn't she? She's getting taken about on adventures and it's just making Bond's her own decisions kinda, and stuff, you know? It's because Bond kind of frees her. And, yeah, I think I it's more... Know, it's I, feel like, I feel there's something sensitive about the way the writers no, have done what, this. What, what, <laughs> when I say frees her, what I was trying to say was... The way there's he... a lot of women listening to this who are probably <laughs> gnashing their teeth right now. Like, we've got to remember that, that like, she's... Her characterisation would have been done differently now, I think. I was... But I do get the idea that someone could be naive to the world and then set free in a sense but like like there's a way there's, I'm struggling to find the way to put it uh, and this seems like a perfect time to play the Bond is Dated theme Bond is Dated Bond is Dated Sexist Misogynist He Don't Care Bond is Dated License to Offend I mean, I, I was meaning more the way the Bond actually literally frees her from being <laughs> under Kananga's control like right. takes her away from that little <laughs> retreat in the top of the mountain and you know, you can tell she just she she's the tip, she's a kept woman the same as like Domino was a kept woman in Thunderball and and all that. You know, Bond frees her from that world and she gets to be a human. What were your thoughts? Um, yeah, that that whole um, solitaire it felt kind of almost a satire on religion, um, almost a sort of cult like way she was considered pure, and then the minute she had sex, she was suddenly. Seem vibrant, un- and, yeah. but also considered un unclean or unpure. Um, yeah, and is it the uh, the female characters again? They were all they were all almost all sort of very damsel and distressy. Um, I mean, you had Rosie as well, who basically one third of the way through the film ran off and disappeared, and that was the last you saw of her. Yeah, what and was the whole, that? Like, she was meant to be. She was. She was. She. You started off thinking she was a CIA agent, but she was actually a double agent working for the villains. Yeah. And then, I mean, from the start. She was played completely incompetently. Like she was constantly making mistakes. Yeah, and then, I think yeah, she so- was incompetent. Like I think I, I wouldn't say it was because she was a woman. Really, I think I think her character was incompetent. No, I agree with that. Yeah, like, she was a rookie. But yeah, she was. Um, that's what all the all the and it was Bond kind of going, "Oh, you, you silly girl. Here you go. This is how it's actually done." It's kind of uh, there was a bit of patronization. patronization yes. Yeah. And yeah. the same with Solitaire. She was, I mean, she was a great character, but she was, again, the damsel in distress. A little one-dimensional, the, again, from the writers, I think. I, I don't, think yeah, sometimes there wasn't... it's okay to have a, what you would term, I suppose, a damsel in distress, I guess. But when like, all the, but, chari- yeah. the yeah, female characters was, like that? There were no yeah. kick-ass female characters, if you like, yeah, in this film. I mean, where you get the real kick-ass female characters is the ones that actually, you know, do... Are spies themselves that like you think of like Wei Lin, Holly Goodhead, and and Anya from Spy Who Loved Me. Mm-hmm. You know, but then you do, so you do, yeah. So there's a big spectrum of you know the the Bond girls, Bond women, and their roles. I think but Tom, I totally get yeah. what you're. I mean, she they I, did they deliberately they made her the way that like Jill Saint John became. At the I, end I think of this is a forever. I think this is a staple of Tom Mankiewicz. I don't think his writing really caters to portraying women in a more favorable light. Than other than a slightly one-dimensional. I don't know that there's a way of putting this right. There's a way of phrasing this right. We get so stuck on portraying women as never being in danger, never making mistakes, right? But you can also make the mistake of always making them feel like they need to be rescued and always making them incompetent. Do you know what I mean? So like, there's a realism in between. Maybe like, I would be happy if like, say, you had solitaire in it the way she was, but maybe you had someone who was like, what was the um the the character that was in um. Uh, Lazenby's one that I really loved, Mrs. Bond. Uh-huh. 
someone a bit more like Tracy because Tracy. Oh, exactly. That, you know? That's what I'm saying. So like, that's the, but they they lack that in this film. Yeah, uh-huh, but like that, I, yeah. I completely agree. We're agreeing. But you're, uh, yeah, you're, yeah. the wording of it is what I disagree with. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's that any portrayal of women could be classed as favourable or unfavourable. I think it's more the balance of, of what you're getting to see. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, I don't think it's a yeah, deliberate yeah. decision on the writers. There's perhaps a slight unconscious bias there. And yes, also exactly. That's, that's that, exactly. Yeah, and a knowledge mm-hmm. that it's it's what's worked in the past. They're male writers and it's male, all nearly cast and crew at this point. There wasn't many female in, in, in the, the film industry at this yeah, point. Yeah, you uh, see that in the above, credits, yeah. yeah. And so it's just natural. They well, is it write, maybe more realistic for the time then? Well, no, it wouldn't well, be realistic. That's why now. you have to kind of you're like reviewing it from two levels. For yeah. its time, this was how it was, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But we're also not viewing it in that fact. We're, we're viewing it from a 2019 point of view. We're able to sort of you should be able to criticize and see where the writing does. You can see that. Yeah, now. I, yeah. I'm I'm not about to totally agree with you there. Like like this is like the good point that Steve Barry made about the you know Tom Mankiewicz maybe his writing. I. Maybe I'm jumping too far ahead here, but if I think of Man of the Golden Gun, which he was involved with after that, right up for four or five films, the the leading women were generally quite strong characters and, you know, Mm. completely different from that. The the films that he was involved with, so like your your Anyas and Holly Goodheads and like... um, um, you know the girls out like for you guys only an octopusy. You know they became they kind of became stronger for a while. Maybe again that was I think it's Tom Mankiewicz. Tom Mankiewicz well. is yeah, the common denominator. Coupled with Guy Hamilton's style and um, you know dressing them up, uh, you know Col and Jill was it uh, on in the last film Diamonds Are Forever? You know, yeah, completely yeah. um, skimpy and things like yeah. that. Um, there wasn't as much. No, 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 no. There was part of the the one exception, maybe the Italian agent, right at the very start of the film. Yeah, who was practically naked, and also looked about seventeen, <sighs> that which was, was really uncomfortable. Yeah, that when was, she was young. Yeah, and I'm not exaggerating. Weird. She looked seventeen. Uh, honestly, like uh, there was a point where she was running through the room, and we were all like, "Oh, what what is going on here?" Was Bond trying uh, to hide her for a different reason? Is he broken the law? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's well done. I mean, we we were talking about how much that um, just after the the titles when. So first of all, it's it's cool getting seen to Bond's house again, like in first time since Doctor No. But the 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 whole chemistry between Bond and M there, M just rocks up to his house in the middle of the night, well about five in the morning, and Bond seems he gives Bond this icy stare through the the gap when he has the chain on the door, and the way that he says um, the Italians are looking for their agent, Miss Caruso, and Bond's trying to hide her, and she she hides in the cupboard and all that, and Money Penny actually helps Bond, but there's there's. That was one of the best scenes in the film between those four actors. You know, the just the, the whole chemistry, even like between Bond and M when he's making him the cup of coffee with this over elaborate big coffee making machine, which must I been, want that coffee machine. It makes you know it's <laughs> the amount of noise it makes just to make one wee cup of coffee. I've got What's, one myself that does make that noise. That hasn't changed from the nineteen seventies. <laughs> What's amazing actually is that they all had that chemistry, and that was the first scene with him ever that they did. Yeah, which that was quite point, incredible, yeah. really, but. Um. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the characters in the film because there is an element of kind of maybe lazy and also um not very controlled writing going on. Like in the sense that characters, some of the characters are quite one dimensional, and that that goes broadly across them all. I think I would say like a lot of them display quite. They don't display much nuance to to their personalities. 
Um, and also, again, maybe with that whole Sheriff Pepper bit, the writing's out of control there. Yeah. They don't know when to stop. Yeah. It starts you know off I mean? well, though. Because the, the first scene when Bond lands in America, and usually what happens is Bond lands in this foreign country, gets into the back of his taxi or whatever, um, and gets chased by a bad guy who then gets shot, usually after a scene where, a sort of CGI scene where it looks like he's driving a car and he's not. But this was the first yeah. film where actually he lands, he's been tailed by the bad guys, he knows he's being tailed by the bad guys, but it's the villains that have the one up on Bond. Because they're all talking to each other and tailing him. I like that. Yeah. And it ends up with sort of Bond quite early on. And being, Yeah, in, which I, I liked that kind of that little twist, that little shake up. Because normally it's Bond just disposes of them with a gun straight away. Like he's kind of got some sort of knowledge ahead of them and knows yes. can you know overcome whatever they've set a trap for him. But this time it was it was turned on, on his head. Yeah, I like I that as well. I like the whole taxi sequence, especially how the CIA agent agent Strutter was you're meant to they've set up as though he's one of the the villains, henchmen, tailing Bond. But Bond gives away a bit too much to the taxi driver because when the ta- I'm talking about the first time when Bond goes to um to New York when he, he gets the taxi driver to pull up outside the Phil at Soul restaurant and he's like oh they must have gone inside pull up where you can like they must have gone inside I mean why is he telling him that I mean just tell him to oh, stop here you know <laughs> <laughs> you know and you know it's, it's good that I do like the whole when he goes into the Phil of Soul the revolving um, booth that sends him I was going to come to this Mr. Bigsley <laughs> and uh, but and, you know Bond orders a drink he doesn't order a vodka martini he orders a bourbon bourbon on the rocks oh yeah there was no vodka martini bourbon. line in this was yeah. there yeah. Bur- bourbon is that how you see it does he yeah. win in Rome though because yeah. that's I just- yeah. That's where bourbon comes from, from Louisiana. From Orleans, bourbon? So. He says bourbon as well. Why does everybody call that bourbon? A bourbon's a chocolate biscuit. Bourbon. Bur- bourbon biscuit, bourbon's like the whiskey. That's how bourbon. I've always... That might just be me, though. I only need to fight this out, I think. <laughs> I, I think hey, come on, one or two fans that we have. Um, someone must know if it's bourbon or bourbon, but I'm pretty sure you get, you get a bourbon. You go and you order a bourbon. You know? I would give you one of those wee chocolate biscuits with the chocolate milk. <laughs> this is weird, by the way. I don't want a biscuit. It's okay. the same as how all these years I thought at the end of the film, the, the gun bond had at the end, the, I always thought it was shotgun. The way they say it is, I think it's shark gun. This is weird. What about Baron Sam? Is it Baron Samadhi? Baron Samidi? Samadhi? Yeah, I'm going with Samadhi. Yeah. I've always said Samadhi, but that's just because it's what I've seen. So it's, I've always said Samadhi for some reason. It's the way, no, but they did say his name in the film, Samadhi. I want to talk about that layer then that they have that's somehow connected to that pub or club or whatever, but yeah. again, there's d- different ways you can enter that layer, <laughs> depending on what seat you get seated at. I'm so yeah. happy with the Return of the Great Bond layer, but yeah, yeah. He, he, he's... He, so obviously the first time around he sits in the booth and it's a revolving wall. The second time he walks in, he clocks and goes, right, I'm not going to sit there, I'm going to sit in front of the stage. <laughs> and then he drops to the floor. Yeah. Brilliant. Just in time for, because um, uh, Felix Leiter goes away to the toilet or something, doesn't he? Comes back, he Bond is call, gone. Yeah. Or, but like, they replace the table, the drinks, everything. So it looks as if he's not going anywhere, which is yeah. quite cunning, it's you know? really clever. It's Guy Hamilton. But does it mean that every single person in that place is a plant? <laughs> like, <laughs> or it's... sitting on a trap. Yeah, oh, just wait. What if they pressed the wrong trap and they had some member <laughs> of the public delivered yeah, down? Yeah, he's like, uh, the ceiling or something. Is yeah. it like uh, Goldfinger and his, his big crazy meeting room with the, all the, the oh, revolving yeah. pool table and all uh-huh. that? <laughs> a room that was built, purpose-built for one meeting. Yeah, for about <laughs> 20, 20 minutes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's, 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 it's a Guy Hamilton 
Yeah, one, doesn't it? This yes. feels like the true sequel to Goldfinger, isn't it? Like in that way, it's again Guy Hamilton and, and that sort of like over the top uh, antics. And Bob is pure Bond as well as so how he actually manipulates the cards. He has a full deck of cards that are all the lovers' cards, and he tells Solitaire to pick one. It's just you know, Bond just wants to get her into bed. I that was kind quite of, manipulative. I I wasn't. I felt a bit uncomfortable. Some that's of that. how he got her into bed. Yeah, that's which is as we've established then, where that whole change came from. He and then, that, and he then to see her upset up. about the whole thing it was a bit like. Well, that, that being said, here's the thing though, right? Um, thank God we know that she did pull out a lovers' card before, so she knew that something was going to happen because she lied to Kanaga about it. Is it Kananga or Kananga? Kananga, Kananga, Kananga yeah. So she lied to him because she didn't want him to know. Then he reveals that her mother had slept with someone and lost her gift and became useless to him. And then he was worried she was going to do the same thing. Um, so there's thankfully more context lent to this that it was kind of coming anyway. Like she was, you know, this was kind of be something that was going to happen. But I don't like the fact that Bond tricked her. I don't like that. No. I think it's a kind of a low move, and I think like any any one of us would be like embarrassed to do something like that. Or like especially when you, you see know? a forty five year old man seducing a twenty year old looking girl like that. It's yeah, just a bit like all it, of right? it's a bit creepy. The, you know what? It is creepy and annoying, right? Because and and it's unnecessary. The writers dropped the ball there because Bond shouldn't have to rely on dirty tricks like that. You know what I mean? Bond should be able to be charming and, and, and like a likeable person a on his spy, own. Do you know yeah. what I mean? A spy is trained to re- to their job is to gain uh-huh. people's trust. Where did he get millions of the lover's cards from anyway? Yeah. <laughs> All the 007 was, merchandise. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I think though you're, you're meant to forget about the fact that Roger Moore's 45 and forget about the fact Jane Seymour's well, like 20 or something. Uh, yeah, but I, think, I can't help but see what the visual yeah, you're looking I at. I totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, I just, um, I mean, the way that Bond will manipulate any situation to make sure that he, you know, it meets. But from a plot point of view, I, I, I can see why they came up with those decisions. It's just from the outsider's view on this scenario and what's happening here. Older man seducing woman by manipulation. Just and a the, little, uh, yeah, little. The, CD. The oh. only method he has of establishing someone's trust and manipulating someone is sleeping with them. It's like, right, I need information, uh-huh. I've got to sleep with them. There's, there's got to be other ways of gaining someone's trust. You can do something for them. You can probably engineer a situation where you gain their trust through conversation, but it's... But he knew that he would destroy the... I think he knew that he would... that it would make her... Uh, useless and so uh, there must have been some reason for it that it would turn her against the organisation you know what I mean I suppose like, there is that point yeah there, there yeah. was a the sex is actually a weapon in that case and that's where I think again the pastiche of religion comes in mm-hmm. that kind of um, I think it'd be fine it's hard to tell if you knew that the film was trying to be a parody or if it's just accidental and it's just a bit one-dimensional writing and is that's that's the line where it's trying to decide where if this is intentional and it's a a satire, as you said. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's where the debate lies. Yeah, which side does it lie yeah. on? Yeah, and it's open to interpretation, and that's Completely. why exactly why we all probably have different views on it, which is yeah. it's fair enough. And can I just say that another? There's always one kind of reveal of something I've never noticed before. I've seen it in Blu-ray, the double seven um, pattern at the back of the cards. I liked. That I never noticed that. No, no, yeah. You know, haven't seen it. Like we pointed out that times. shouldn't Solitaire have noticed that and been even more weird? <laughs> I about know. Just oh oh looking at the front of the cards. I'm surprised <laughs> it didn't have the actual W7 <laughs> logo with the guns. <laughs> they definitely <laughs> didn't have a lot of Roger uh, Moore's face just on the back of the card. <laughs> <laughs> Looks Copy- like just like the cards guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh 
<laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right, uh, we're closing probably close to the where yeah, we should end. Because my dad's probably going to be here in five or ten minutes. Is he? Yeah. For God's oh. sake. I'm getting pimped up by my dad like okay. a big boy. All right, then. Let's, <laughs> let's uh, hurriedly move along to the rating, then. Um, who wants to begin? Steve. Go on, then. Yep. Um. Oh, wow. I mean, this is. I'm going to have to rate this quite high, and it's kind of a... It feels quite nice to be rating a Bond film high again because after the last couple, I think I've gone down. Um, so I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's enough to go the full five. It's probably the one I've enjoyed most so far. Wow, it's made most sense. Um, it felt like a complete film again. There wasn't any point where I switched off. It made me laugh, which is kind of what I go for in a film. I think I'm going to be controversial and bring out the half marks again and give this one a four and a half. Wow, that is the highest from you. That is that is some praise there because I generally wasn't sure what you thought like until we've done this podcast, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah, I, I I did enjoy this yeah. one a lot. Okay, Gordon, then we'll come we'll come to you then your your rewatch. Yeah, I really like it, and I mean I don't do half marks, so I'm just it's it's maybe close to being a five for me, but I'll just say four because um, I don't really do half marks, but I think. What? No, I mean, I'll go through the positives first, right? Um, a much more cohesive film than Diamonds Are Forever. I think Roger Moore's performance is great. And again, I maybe see the film through kind of rose-tinted spectacles. I haven't seen it from such a young age. But, you know, just there's such a strong cast. You know, Teehee, Baron Samady, Yafit Koto is Mr. Big and Kananga. Um, you know, Jane Seymour is Solitaire. It's a great cast. And... Although Roger Moore gets a lot of unjustified flack for his, uh, you know, more comedic efforts, and people think he's a lot, you know, he's quite two dimensional. But you know, there's a lot of sneaky spy stuff going on. You see him like sneaking up in Miss in uh, Kananga's hideout in San Monique with the the hand glider and ruthlessly kicking a guy in the head, knocking him off the edge of the cliff, and you know, running out, you know that. Brilliant outfit. They had like run around the kind of roll neck jumper and the the gun hole, the holster, and the yeah, big striker. Pretty cool look. Yeah, he, he looks great. I think he's. I think Roger's brilliant in this film, and you know, I think Yafa Koto makes a great henchman. Is he not the main villain, really? It's more I mean, I, like the main villain. I think Felix Leiter's good. I mean, David Hedison. He, he also later appeared in uh, License to Kill, and there's genuine chemistry between him and Bond. You know, he's this. You know, David Hedson comes across as quite a kind of suave agent, but like the American equivalent. And you didn't get that with the guy, Norman Burton, that played Lighter and in, in Dimes Are Forever. He could just be like some angry supermarket manager or something. He just didn't seem like a guy that bonded this close-knit, fr- this close-knit friendship with. Um, you know, so great supporting cast as well. I mean, we're, like we talked about, I mean, what drags the film down a bit is the, the overlong speedboat chase. I think um, I, I like J.W. Pepper. I think he was a bit overused, maybe. But um, I think it, it, I really like George Martin's music. I, I think it to feel more bonding. It kind of missed the John Barry score a bit. I would have liked to hear the film like rescored, you know, just to see how it would sound. But I really liked a lot of George Martin's music. I thought Can- Kananga's death was a bit ropey the way he just like blew up like a big. Oh my god, that's right. We haven't spoken about that. And I just. But yeah, I and, and all, the only other kind of negative for me is the fact Q wasn't in it. But like I said, man, four out of five. Um, I've it's one of the Bond films I've seen the most, and it's for a reason. I love this film, and I'm excited to go on to Man with the Golden Gun. All right, then, Fran. Before you have to get whisked away. Uh, well, I think I'd probably give it a four and a half as well. Uh, I think it's a 
it's losing the half um star for the length of the Sergeant Pepper bit. Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant, oh yeah, yeah. Oops, uh, Sheriff Pepper. Yeah, um, that's me. Don't you laugh, Steve? You, you're the one who coined that earlier on. Um, Sheriff Pepper. Yeah, um, it's a bit too long. One-dimensional quality to the characters, particularly Rosie and um, uh, Solitaire. Um, but you know, I think on the whole, it's a very, very solid movie. I think. The most you could take off would be a half star, I think, for that. Do you know what I mean? Like for those, but they have to be held accountable for those things. Um, but I just want to say once again, just how how much I uh, how much of a pleasure it was to see Solitaire again for, after such a long time. She really is a a very um, captivating looking uh, woman, isn't she? And then Gordon, you said that the actress that played her. Um, has sort of retained that for the, over the years, hasn't she? <laughs> well, I was going to say on here. I also yeah. just wanted to say that I think that they must have taken her that costume design for for Princess Amidala in Star Wars, um, Phantom Menace, because I'm just can't you know that to me was what they were going for with that. It looked so similar. Mm. You know, with the yeah, the huge yeah, get up and really the makeup was. and things I like mean, that. Her appearance altered a lot through the films, a like real variation outfits and just like hairstyle and everything. Mm-hmm. But I thought she was really good, and she's she's amongst fans, she seems to be one of the most memorable Bond women, Bond girls. You know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm toying really. Um, I think I, I mean, I over like I said it before. I overall enjoyed the film. I loved this film as a comedy. If you look at it at that point of view, I think this film works as a comedy and, and, and the action, again I mentioned before, not keen on the over lengthy boat chase sequence in Sheriff Pepper um, yeah, section. I liked Roger Moore. I think he you know, just fits in perfectly with the style. They obviously, Tom Mankiewicz I think wrote the film around Roger Moore knowing that he was going to come into it and that's been documented that they really changed up the style and tone to fit his character. Um, so that's why it works because the actor playing it, that's why Sean Connery didn't work I don't think and Diamonds, I mean, that film had so many other issues. But um, the music loved the soundtrack, loved the, the main theme of this film. Uh, I like, Steve, what you mentioned at the start of the film, the tight s- section at the beginning. Um, I think the first third of this film is actually its best. And then, and then that middle section with the alligators, I did like that as well. It's the later section where it kind of loses me a little. Um, that death, Kananga's death, I, I thought, <laughs> it's so comical and so ridiculous. Uh, visually, it looks so silly. Um, such a letdown for for such a strong character, I think. Mm-hmm. And the way that you know Bond was uh, struggling with them in the water, the where the you know the sharks were suckling them, and he stuffed the the, the gas filled uh, bullet into his mouth, but he, it was like Kananga just happily accepted it. <laughs> yeah, going into his mouth. He, didn't, he didn't try and struggle with him. It was, yeah. it was just also, they're setting you up for a shark death and it's like, uh-huh. no, 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 we're going the extra mile here. <laughs> why did why did Bond feel, find it necessary to blow up him when he was already in a shark pool? Like, yeah. I also, I do think as well, <laughs> even though, I know, even, even though Q was in, wasn't in the film, I like how Q's gadgets were still there, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, he's, he's maybe just disappeared in holiday for a few weeks but he's given Bond all this stuff yeah it's as if he was because the watch not only did you get the watch magnet but the watch buzzsaw to actually get him out of that situation with the sharks get out of the handcuffs as well accidentally bloody turned on the watch buzzsaw in a different circumstance (laughs) it could be really dangerous yeah we also really worked out where we think the caves from Goldeneye 64 were taken from it was this film we finally we're making a mistake here Steve what we're doing guys is we're throwing new ideas into the conclusion 
We should never do this. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, I was rating the film. Overall, I enjoyed it. The one-dimensional characters we talked about is the one that also uh, falls flat. But, um, yeah, I'm really toying between a four and a three for this one. I think it might be too harsh giving it a three. Um, I think so. Because it was a fresher take. It's the first true good comedy Bond film. And that's that's well, that's my interpretation of the of the film. So I think I'm going to give it a four, but it is actually on the lower end scale of the fours. Um, you know, I've given Doctor No from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. I know I think maybe Goldfinger might have been a, a very low five, but um, so it's it's just above Thunderball and things like that. But uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's a four, but it's a lower end four. I think I you know think what? I almost think least. right that see for these very long film series series that we're doing, I almost feel like the half star or doing a ten star thing would make more sense because see once you do like how many film films is there? This will be twenty five. Twenty five, right? And you've got generally most of them are going to be threes and fours. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to really see the nuance and variation there um, across 25 films. Does that make sense? Like, if you were reading on a 10, I'm giving it either between a 6 and a 7. That's where it's falling for me. I really think we should, like... So a 7 would be still in the low end 4, a 6 would have been a high end 3. So it's like... I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah. Okay, well, okay. Well, it's going to be a 4 then. All right, so we all at least hit on the 4, two four and a half. Mm -hmm. So we obviously, this is one of the highest rated Bond films so far, which is good because we have had a couple of ones where we've, we've really dived first and some of the and the last one was obviously a, we all didn't really particularly yeah. like it because you don't you don't always need a real megalomaniac villain this one was a bit more down to earth and believable that was one of the real strengths mm. i think yeah um it did it did kind of miss i think some of the the sort of epic sets that ken Ad- i'm not sure if we didn't find out if ken adams was involved in this film but it didn't his presence certainly didn't feel like he was there can i, don't can I just ask a was. question right did anybody actually know what Mr. Big really wanted to do? Or like why? Well, it was just drug cars. Car- um, trafficking. Away. Drug trafficking, that was essentially it. He was trying it to give away a billion dollars of heroin for nothing. To get people hooked, and then after that they'd have to buy it. So they would all just take it. So you're basically increasing your customer base, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's trying to ah, wipe right. out the other dealers, so he'd have a monopoly of the market. Yeah, it's like the free cookies you get in the supermarket. They chop one up, give it away for free, and they sell ten. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right then. I'll I think about that for next time I'm selling drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lie. <laughs> uh, official disclaimer. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, that's us for uh, our eighth James Bond film. Then that would mean our next one is the Man with the Golden Gun. Is that correct? That is correct. And uh, yeah, so uh, Sir Roger Moore will return, and so will we for that podcast. Whenever we can get that scheduled in, I'm looking forward to that. We're fill- we're really in in the seventies now, so uh, Roger Moore era has truly begun, and uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be doing these for a wee, a wee while, I suppose. Okay, thanks guys for turning up for this one. Thank you for it's having been fun. Us thanks again. again. No problem. I hated it. All right, get get out now. Painful. <laughs> All right, see you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Did you guys um, hear the thing on the other cast where I pretended that you'd been killed by Steve? Did you hear that? The bit when Steve left the room. Uh-huh. <laughs>